Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. So, 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 so. Welcome to a crystal clear world of recorded music created especially for you, the film, television and radio producer. We invite you to listen to a sound sampling of selections taken from this new and ever-expanding giant library of recordings designed for your current productions. Whether your subject matter be past or present, light or serious, drama or documentary. Here we are again. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so we made it through the All-Stars show earlier earlier this month, so it was on the 6th, um, which Soho Radio broadcast live. That's still available on the, the Soho Radio website, so you can, you can check it out there. Lots and lots of great tracks. A few surprises. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some big surprises. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good gig. Um, and we're now joined in the studio by our uh, our esteemed guest, Brian Bennett. Good afternoon. Um, so what I'm going to do first, Brian, is uh, I do this with all the guests in, is I try and introduce them to a piece of their own music. Oh. So if you bear with me, it's just, it always goes very badly. Um, okay, let's try this. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> now you've got to vis- picture it like a sort of Dallas TV show. Brian's face will slide in. <laughs> Slides in now. So, joined by Brian Bennett, drummer of The Shadows. Brian Bennett, OBE, I should say. Uh, composer of well-known themes such as Rugby Special, BBC Golf, Channel 9, uh, Australia's Cricket Theme. He's also done Robin's Nest, Birds of a Feather, Ruth Rendell Mysteries, uh, Pulaski, Square Deal, Close to Home, Better in Mind. Uh, sampled hugely, our most sampled uh, library composer, uh, Brian Bennett. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Impressive, Paul. <laughs> It's always the most stressful bit of any show, is, uh, <laughs> is trying to do that. Welcome. Thank you very much. Um, so I thought, you know, we would we'd sort of chat about your career okay. in music. And I guess a good place to start being at Soho Radio is you, you kind of began your career in Soho, I believe, yes. into playing in Soho. I did, just around the corner in uh, Old Compton Street. Uh, there was a coffee shop there called The Two Eyes. And in the basement, there was a stage and uh, there was a band on every night. And I shared the uh, house drummer's uh, seat down there with Clem Cattini, another great drummer. Mm. Um, And that's really where English rock and roll sort of started there. And there's a blue plaque or green plaque outside there now telling everybody that passes that that's exactly what happened. Uh, (laughs) I have to check it out. I've walked past millions of times without looking up and seeing it. It's an Italian coffee shop now. Cool. Yeah. And so do you remember, uh, I guess, around here, um, 
this area or where the, the studio is as well. And, oh, yeah. And you have happy memories of being in Soho oh, in, I love that, Soho. in that period. Oh, Soho in the 50s was fabulous, yeah. And uh, there was a, uh, I just passed it. It's, it's still a, a restaurant, but there used to be a place called the Denman Restaurant in Denman Street, just around the corner from here. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you made a few bob, you could get a risotto for like a pound with a, with a, sort of like a bottle of water and a cup of tea, and that was like a big meal out. Every now and again, you made a few extra bob. And Archer Street, which is also next door to here, just the next street down, on a Monday morning, it's where musicians and fixers used to meet and get jobs, get work. So it was uh, quite busy then, you know. Mm. A lot of jazz clubs at that time. Um, So you could actually go and play or sit in in a jazz club in those days. Right. uh, If you were any good, of course, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. Soho in the 50s. I'm actually writing a, um, a sort of a musical film about Soho in the 50s uh, mm. now. And um, it should be interesting. Is, that, is it just you doing it? Is it no, I'm doing it or? with a few people. I'm doing it with Warren Bennett, who's also a great writer. Yeah. And, um, and uh, a man called uh, Keith Cavell, who I've, who is a, who's writing the script and he's also a film producer. And uh, it sounds it's very exciting times at the moment. Yeah. Is it something you're pitching, or is it? No, well, yeah, I will be, but I, I want to get it right. It first, I want to yeah. get it developed, and I want to get it mm-hmm. right. And I want the songs to be right, and, and the and the script to be absolutely right. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's shaping up very nicely. Yeah. Wow. And it's about Soho in the Soho 50s. Soho in the 50s, yeah. I'm and sure there's quite must be quite a bit of appetite for that once people start. Well, we hope so. Remembering, yeah. we hope so. And a lot of new people will go. Really, is that what happened? You know, yeah, yeah. there was a lot of there was a lot of um, gang factions and different gangs from Chinatown comes into it, and there's a sort of like a, a divide between Soho and Chinatown, and uh, yeah, interesting times. Me and Paul are still heading up the KPM gang, and we, you know, frequently clash with Chinatown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how did how did playing in Soho lead you to the shadows? Oh, yeah, well, uh, I mean, the Two Eyes was the place where every musician who wanted to be in the pop business played. And out of there came Tommy Steele and uh, Tony Sheridan went on to, he used to, he, he was a great guitarist. In fact, it was um, when Cliff Richard came to town and they were looking for a guitarist for Cliff Richard's band. They were actually looking for Tony Sheridan who was like the guitarist at the time. But he'd gone to Hamburg and he was working with a young, unknown band called the Beatles in Hamburg uh, at that time. You know. Never heard of them. Never heard of them. <laughs> uh, and Hank was down there. Hank and Bruce had come down and they said, well, he, um, Tony Sheridan's uh, gone to Germany. Uh, this is Hank Marvin. And he played a few licks and got the job with Cliff's band. Uh, I played with, after Two Ice, um, I played on the Oh Boy show, which was the biggest TV rock and roll show at the time mm-hmm. uh, with the Tony Sheridan trio. And we backed people like Conway Twitty and Brenda Lee and some of the 50s acts that came over. Uh, I actually worked for a man called Larry Parnes who looked after a lot of um, rock and roll singers. And when um, Marty Wilde wasn't uh, touring, uh, he went into a musical called Bye Bye Birdie, I think it was, in the West End. So Eddie Cochran came over, and then Gene Vincent came over. So I, I was picked up as their drummer. So I played with quite a few people. Mm. Um, and then I started doing pit work. I went to Great Yarmouth, and I worked in a theatre pit because yep. I wanted to get into um, uh, pit work and session work. So I had to sort of learn my craft properly and learn to read and, and 
play all sorts of music. And uh, there was a show in town called Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. And Andy White was the he was a session drummer. Uh, he was the drummer there. And he said, the, I'm leaving the show in a couple of weeks' time, a couple of months' time. Come and look at the parts and, uh, you know, I'll get you in. Mm. I thought, this is it. I'm in the West End. I've, you know, I just got married, starting a family. And uh, Bruce Welsh called up my wife and said, um, uh, we're looking for Brian Bennett, you know. I'd met them mm. down the two eyes before anyway. And he said, uh, well, uh, Tony left yesterday and we need a drummer now. What are you doing? I said, I've done all the touring I ever want to do. Thank you very much. I said, nice of you to ask, but uh, I'm doing all right. I'm in the West End. And Bruce said, well, what are you getting in the West End? I said, 25 quid a week, you know, which was 1961. Yeah. So he said, uh, double it. I said, right, where do you want me to be and when? <laughs> 50, quid, 50 quid a week in, uh, in, in 1961 was a lot of money. Mm. So um, I went up to Blackpool and, and uh, joined that the next day, yeah. And how was that? Uh, was there a huge sort of change in, in the culture of playing that came with that in terms of the fame and the... Because soon afterwards that would have led to the, the films and, yeah. and things like that with Cliff... Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was a famous band. They were a famous band, but I'd been with Marty and Tommy Steele and Eddie Cochran and Gene Vincent, mm. so I was used to famous bands, really. So I wasn't phased by that at all. But it, um, it it got bigger and bigger as I, after 61, of course, and the films. Uh, they'd already made, they'd already made uh, The Young Ones, and, uh, and this script came in. In fact, I was doing a. I was in pantomime in Stockton, the Globe Theatre in Stockton. Right. And I was doing a postal course. We were talking about it earlier uh, from Berklee School of Music because I wanted to learn to write and arrange and and film music was my mm. great passion at the time. So I was doing a postal course, and uh, Bruce came in with his script. This is a script, and they're looking for a sort of a, a hit song from the script, and it was it was summer holiday. It was about this is about a load of kids getting a bus and going to Athens. And I went, okay, great, sounds good. <laughs> you wouldn't, I mean, if, someone, if he didn't know, you'd yeah, say, yeah, great, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he said, come on, and um, we wrote it in an hour. We wrote Summer Holiday, sent the demo in, and uh, and it was my first number one hit record. So did you have a writing credit on that then? Was oh, yeah, that... I, wrote it, I wrote it with Bruce, yeah. Right, yeah. okay, wow. Yeah. Um, we're going to play a couple of Shadows tracks now. So we've got... Um, track called Fourth Street from it's from 1966 from the album Shadow Music, uh, and then the second track is a track called Big B, okay, um, from Dance with the Shadows. Which on that one you really get to sort of flex your chops on okay. the All right. on the playing. There's a fantastic clip uh, of the band playing this on YouTube, old black and white TV, where you've got the band on the right hand side and you're on this sort of uh, pedestal you're above everyone else on the left quite hand right, side quite right. with uh, <laughs> with these sort of dancing yeah. dancing girls yes. and, and guys coming through okay. and it's it's all about you on this on this video oh. though and um do you remember much about no. about playing that one no we no? did so much <laughs> you, know, you said fourth street i said fourth street did i write what's fourth street <laughs> and of course we wrote so much stuff and so much actually happened mm. not only with the shadows compositions and writing pop songs and things like that but eventually library music and like you sort of like the play, the piece you played 
me in on. Mm. I thought, what the hell is that? You know, because I just there was so much stuff. There was hundreds of pieces of music that we wrote. So uh, this is very interesting for me to <laughs> hear what you're going to play. You know? Remember what? Yeah, <laughs> what happened? Um, this is Fourth Street. <laughs> I'm tired just listening yeah. to it. <laughs> that, that's quite a workout. Well, it was pretty. Yeah, yeah. It would have been. It would be now. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so then, jumping forward now into the 1970s is when you started working with KPM and Robin Phillips. Yes. Um, how how did that come about? How did you yeah. how did you meet Robin? Uh, well, I started doing session work, and during those session periods, you know, you gravitate to rhythm sections, especially and, and people that you get on with. And one of the great pianist composers at the time was a guy called Steve Gray, and Steve Gray and I became good friends. And he said, "You need to meet Robin Phillips because we can because we are composers, and and Robin is asking a lot of new musicians to write some new stuff for orchestras and." Whatever. So I met Robin, and uh, and started work immediately. I got on. I was really friendly with Robin. I, I, yeah. I yeah. got on with him really well. He became a good friend. And we used to go to Brussels. There was a there was a, a the musicians' union dispute um, for a couple of years running. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he used to take um, about six composers to Brussels, and we used to do use the uh, the Brussels Opera Orchestra, big orchestra. Right. And he'd take rhythm sections, which was me. Uh, I think it was Les Hurdle on bass, Steve Gray on piano, Derek Watkins lead trumpet, um, and we were the rhythm section. Um, and and I hadn't done any orchestral stuff for him, you know. So he just said, "Look, do a couple of scores. If we finish early on on one of the days, just get the score out, and we'll do it." You know, which I did. And one of them became. The Channel Nine cricket thing. It's been going on for forty years now. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. That was one that had been yeah. tagged first, onto one of those sessions. Up, yeah. and... So that was it. Was that track and was it Image? Image, yeah, yeah. That you yeah. did it uh, at the same time. Yes. Um, and I guess prior to that, you were part of Wasp. Wasp. Um, Duncan Lamont and yes. it was Steve Gray. Steve Gray, yeah. Duncan Lamont, Clive Hicks, and Dave Richmond on bass. Good band. Really good band. With epic lunchtime briefs from Robin that went on for, you know, meet at lunch at one o'clock and at six o'clock we'd come out of Poons or some restaurant in Soho and uh, I'm, I would go home and start writing and then we'd all phone each other, what did he say was my brief? You know, because they were just big long lunches, you know. Yeah. Great. Um, and it's interesting because uh, I think the way it was set up was any tracks that were composed by all of you were listed as Wally Asp. Wally Asp, yes. yes. Yeah. Which I didn't realise uh, till it was quite a while ago when I found that out and suddenly like, of course, <laughs> that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I'd forgotten that, yeah. Wally um, Good writer, Wally Asp. Yeah. <laughs> Great writer. <laughs> uh, and it's very helpful uh, having uh, Oliver Lomax, who's just had his book out, The Mood Modern, because it means that whenever I'm interviewing someone like yourself or Alan recently, just quickly go to the index page. Yeah. He knows more about us than we do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I can check these things, and that's yeah. that's when I found out that yeah. it was those two tracks that you'd done on, as as part of that first first session. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna tra- we're gonna play a couple of those tracks uh, in a moment. So we're gonna play Image uh, from 
album with the same title. Now, that was also used in a film around about the same period in 1975, film called Image by a guy oh, called okay. Radley Metzger, oh. who he's well known for producing uh, adult erotica films from the 1970s. And th- okay. this was something that was new to me today when, when reading about this. Adult erotic films, that's what we used to call porn films. Yes, it, well, <laughs> this is the thing. I found out today that there was uh, the so-called golden age of porn, yeah. which, was, uh, which began in 1969 from Andy Warhol, who did a film uh, called Blue Movie. And since that point in the 1970s, apparently... Apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like that word. Apparently, apparently it's a good word, isn't it? A, a lot of, <laughs> so uh, I read. A lot of uh, adult and porn movies were started to get written about in mainstream press. And the filmmakers were taken more seriously. Radley Metzger is, is one of those. Uh, he used a lot of our music in that period as well. Um, uh, and it also said that you know these films were being discussed by people like Johnny Carson and Bob Hope, and you know they it obviously had a slightly wider audience than just those who wanted to watch porn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Are we talking KPM Thousand series, or is this where a lot of the themes music got used as well? Uh, both, right? Both. I mean, K- the Thousand series more so at the start because themes came in later. That didn't start until nineteen seventy-seven ish, I think. So that would have come in later. Um, but yeah, this film that came out was from 1975 and uses the, the track and it was, is also named the same as the track. Yeah, I think he named the film uh, after the track. Well, weirdly, the, the film was named after a book which was had the same title. It's just like everything came at, yeah. came together. I was there at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For all the wrong reasons. <laughs> I, I heard a lot of composers, I won't mention any names, but a couple of composers got upset that their music was being uh, used in that sort of uh, uh, film, you know. I said, well, don't worry about it. You know. got quite, <laughs> Shows how versatile the music yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, well, this is Image. Followed by a track called Mermaid that you wrote with Alan Hawkshaw. That was on an album called Synthesis from 1974, I think. Mm. If you say so. (laughs) (laughs) But you were saying you can remember that first track, you can remember the session, and you can remember being a bit nervous and having to play. Absolutely, yeah. Whilst whilst someone else was conducting. That's right, right? yeah. Neil Richardson, I think, conducted it. Right. And uh, it was a a great moment because, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to play the drums and I'm reading the drum part which of course I wrote and I'm yeah. trying to listen to everybody's performance and things like that so you you, you know it's it's dangerous to be a drummer and a, and a composer at the same time because you you know you, you might listen and forget to play something that you really should be playing and do you do a few run-throughs or no so really just oh, yes, one sight reading it's like you've got to have a good copyist the music's got to be neatly written out and you've got to know that it's going to work so the whole band just plays it through once yeah Wow. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, mean cons- sometimes you'll get a run at it, but it's eight titles and more, um, you know. 
But you've got someone like, you've got a great lead trumpet player, Derek Watkins. Yeah. Uh, you've got a great engineer, uh, Adrian Kerridge. And, yeah. and so great... he used to travel with you, did, yes. did he, to the various... Yeah. So and... we'd get there and plan everything, mic up, uh, all the mics were in order, you know, yeah. and they were good players, they were all good players. Yeah. So it was sight reading, yeah. Okay. And were all the players shipped over from the UK no, or using the some rhythm. local... No, okay. just the rhythm section. We used yeah. uh, uh, the, from the um, Brussels Opera Orchestra, we had uh, four French horns, um, a woodwind section, big string section, and then we bought Derek Watkins, lead trumpeter. Yeah, and uh, there was uh, Dave Richmond on bass, uh, or Les Hurdle on bass, uh, Clive Hicks on guitar, Steve Gray, yeah, and myself. And f- I think Frank Ricotti came on percussion. Okay, yeah. yeah. In fact, there was two percussion. There was Frank Ricotti and Jim Lawless. We right. got Jim and Frank together. That's a, a mighty groove. Get a great groove going with those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they know, as I said before, there's a. Th- does he know where one is? Because yeah. you know, you get certain rhythm sections, and they can just be a little tiny bit loose. But when you get the right guys, it's bam, it's right on it. It's lovely. And you and Frank Ricotti played quite a lot together yes. over, the, over various albums, didn't yeah. you? As a, as a kind of yeah, yeah, it's an impressive sound. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always good to play with people that uh, uh, that you warm to as a, a human being, anyway. So yep. you, you get that in the great American bands that come over. They, you know, they 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 love to be with each other and they yep. support each other. Yeah, it's not just about being a virtuoso player. It's, mm. it's being locked in with a, with another guy's feeling. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And with the the second track, Mermaid. Yeah. Like because that's quite it's quite. Uh, forward thinking, I guess. If, you know, listening back to that now, it's very mellow, yeah, uh, new agey almost. Wow. Um, and you know, I guess early use of synthesizers as yes. well at that point. Well, they um, were, yeah. I mean, Alan and myself both got the best synthesizers that, that were available at the time, and they were, you know, not like they are today. I mean, but. Uh, and there was no click tracks, and it was it was like four track or an eight track. In fact, Twenty One Denmark Street, I think it was just I think four track. I think it was the mm. best. Yeah, which is where that was recorded. Mm. Yeah. So that presumably that was expensive at that time. That kind of yeah gear. Those, oh yeah, yeah, um, and I'm, huge. Uh, I imagine he- and heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was all valves. So and heavy difficult stuff. to cart, cart around to the yeah. sessions. I mean, did you used yeah. to keep them at the studios or? No, Alan used to have a van. I mean, he used right. to. Alan used to take a Hammond organ and a Leslie speaker. Wow, with him. <laughs> he was. He I was mean, both mad. of you, both of you are probably thinking. Considering we we're going to end up some of the most sampled artists ever, we might as well cut this stuff around. Future proofing. We've got to listen back to this in years to come. <laughs> if we'd have known, well, we didn't know. I mean, but I mean, can you imagine people nowadays going around in a, with a Leslie speaker and a, and a and a Hammond organ and a full mm. drum kit in a van trying to park? Yeah, and, yeah. And setting up and playing and doing that from ten to one, two to five, and seven to ten. Yeah, and we used wow. to do three sessions a day and drive ourselves. Mind you, there weren't any double yellow lines when we started doing that. Mm. But there were times when I'd, I'd, I'd be late setting up uh, and you, you'd go down and put your drums in a, in your van or your car and they'd been towed away, you know. Mm. Then you'd be late for a session, then you were in trouble. Because yeah. you're only late for a session once. You'd never get invited back. There yeah. are no yeah. excuses. Yeah. Uh, and then with the synthesizer, that leads leads us into the next couple of tracks I was going to play, which are from a Themes International album called Synthesizer and Percussion, uh, which has just been reissued, actually, via Be With Records. 
um, as part of the 10 albums that they're, they're releasing from our back catalogue. Um, and so both these tracks are composed and performed with Alan Hawkshaw as well. It's a track called Action Man and a track called Day Tripper. Um, you weren't a part of the formation of Themes International with, like, with the other composers, but you were still you were still involved in it in terms of composing yes. And, yes. And, and playing with them. Yes, it was something that I think Alan Parker and Alan Hawkshaw and a few others um, set up together. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, here's Action Man. Synthesizer and percussion. Yeah. So you were saying he's a good player to work with because he's. Oh, uh, Alan. Yeah, he's a great player. He's a very percussive player. Right. So uh, you know, you know, and and you know, we work. We've worked together since ever really. So we know where where he's going and how he works and how he thinks. And, and that's how we we write together. That last piece, I actually like that last piece. Yeah, it's you never, fantastic. You never play yeah. your own stuff. You think, what, is, what the hell's that? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and and I really like that. You know. Yeah. Do, you, yeah. do you forget you've written it and think, who's this guy? I did. I have, <laughs> I, I've done that with Alan. I said, this, who's that? And he says, you. Huh. <laughs> Good. Um, and both of those are very sample friendly. You know, you can imagine some of the hooks and grooves being taken yeah. out yeah. of those, which, which I wanted to speak to you about sampling yes. because you are our most sampled composer, probably the most sampled library composer of all time anyway. Uh, like who sampled has you down as being sampled 161 times really um, it's probably more than that yeah. um, and it's like a who's who of, of hip hop when you look at who you've been sampled yeah. by you know yeah. Kanye West yeah uh, Drake fairly recently big as hit well. with Drake last year yeah. yeah amazing isn't it I mean who'd have thought really yeah <laughs> I mean it's just like a secondary sort of the word secondary exploitation that is in the little the small print at the end of a contract. Now you know what it really means. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, uh. Ghostface Killer, Nas, it's like pretty much everyone. How how do you find out when it's gone through? I guess a lot of the time you will just find out when royalties come through. If well, that's, yes. That's happened. And... Uh, usually the publisher gets in touch. But mm. the first time it ever happened was with, uh, with Nas. Uh, it was called Find Your Wealth. I can't think of what the track was. Uh, it was probably from the Voyage album. Uh, mm. There was a piece I wrote called Solstice, which has got a nice slow sort of groove to it, you know. And it didn't do very well. And I, I actually gave Robin, I think I changed the titles and gave it to Robin. It, it, oh, it's part of Bruton now, isn't it? I think it, it is, yeah. yeah. Um, but it didn't do much. And then somebody sent a cassette. This is a long time ago. I was, I was out playing golf with some of my friends and... Um, this guy from New York sent a cassette, and 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 there's this guy um, swearing all over my track, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yo. And uh, I thought I thought it was someone taking the piss, you know. I thought, well, what's this? How dare he, you know? And I just threw it in the bin. <laughs> I wasn't being big time. I just thought this is just stupid. I didn't know what hip hop or rap was at all. You mm. see. So uh, I mentioned it to a couple of the music people, Steve Steve Jenkins, who was head of uh, Jive Records, and Brian Berg, who was head of Universal at the time. I said, what was his name? I said, I don't know, Biz, Boz. He says, it wasn't Nas, was it? I said, that's the guy, Nas. He said, he sells shitloads of records. <laughs> Find out, you know. 
and we found out and and we did a deal with the publisher and uh, and um yeah I was able to afford some more drums (laughs) (laughs) stuff. (laughs) How much, I always wonder this, how much do you actually go back and listen to the music that they're making using your music? Do you ever kind of, do you avoid listening to it or do you... I never listen to my own stuff. Yeah. Or I listen once or twice to where it's gone. Yeah. Like, for instance, when Drake, I I mean, I got up at the BMI thing with with KPM and, Mm. and got the BMI award for best single. Which right. was summer summer, summer 16, sixteen from yeah. there. I thought, you know, it, it felt really weird. You know, and did you go back and listen to the track? I mean, yes. obviously, if you're getting an yeah, award, and it's just probably... a little tiny bit of um, <laughs> glass tubes. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's Robin not sort of said, the whole track. We is need it? something like tubular bells. I said, oh, I'll give you glass tubes then. You know, and it was a similar type of arpeggio <laughs> yeah, yeah. thing on a piano, and never thought anything of it until last year. Yeah. Amazing. And do you ever wander around and look at, you know? younger people wandering around with their headphones on thinking you could be listening to me yeah, no, I, <laughs> no I don't know I, I, I know when, I, when it first happened with Nas I know it was Kanye West he did something uh, I think it was called Lord 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 that's right yeah and uh, my, my granddaughter suddenly realised that granddad was cool you know it's really cool <laughs> I was so I became cool granddad yeah then I think yeah. I'd struggle not to tell people <laughs> yeah <laughs> No one would believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I, when you're up for a, I, I was up for a film. Uh, I did a film uh, about the story of Manolo Blahnik, the mm. famous shoemaker. And there were some very modern tracks that they want, you know. And we were there and they said, well, he's, he, they looked at me at, there was at the briefing and with lots of producers, co-producers and producers, producers, friends, you know. And I was sitting around and said, OK. So who's the old guy at the end? Which is me. And I said, uh, well, he's the composer. And they said, well, we're, we're looking for someone who's sort of like just a bit streetwise and a bit, <laughs> bit edgy, you know. And they said, what, so what have you done? I said, I just, uh, I've just finished uh, Kenny West's latest single. Is that all right? You know? <laughs> and then, and they, looked at each, they looked at each other and went, nah, he's taking the piss. Down, <laughs> you know? And, of course, it's, it's, that's great when that happens. I yeah. Like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so let's listen to a couple of... Um, couple of your tracks that have been sampled so the first one is a track called Nuplex from Visual Impact which I can't remember who sampled that one actually and then that's going to go into Glass Tubes favourite track yeah <laughs> me and Drake always yeah. been me and Drake yeah. <laughs> um, and it's a great track you know you, you kind of combines like you're saying that it's sort of tubular bells as yeah. thing but it does go slightly Morricone-esque in there as well yeah. with the yeah. um, with the, with the flute and the guitar coming in, yeah. and an incredible drum sound towards the end mm. as well. Thank you. Was, yeah, yeah. There, there, there was a there was an American drummer called Hal Blaine who had this beautiful Doppler effect on his tom toms, uh, and we all tried to emulate that sound. They all wanted that sound, and there wasn't a kit or an engineer. Or, we, no one could get it right. Yeah, and I had these old brass timbales, which were slightly deeper, and they were. I put some old. I went to buy secondhand Everplay. Heads which are really thin that people drummers would just throw in the bin. Yeah, so that's had it. I said, No, I'll take it. 
So it's just just before it splits and before it goes, yeah. and it just bends and it just has that sound. And it's used on quite a few things. Yeah. So it's a single-headed yes. drum and timbala. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Uh, and sticking with the sampling thing, we we touched upon this earlier about the album Voyage uh, that you did, which is uh, subtitled A Journey into Discoid Funk. Yeah, nice. Discoid funk. Um, uh, it's got this fantastic album cover of the, the spaceship, uh, which is, very, very, I guess, very much of it was 1978, which is sort yes. of what, just after Star Wars and a, yes. you know, around that, that time of those yes. sort of films being made. Yes. Um, what do you remember about, about making that album? And because it's it's become very collectible and it's very sought after now yeah. for a lot of producers because it like you say the track Solstice has been sampled a lot and yes. I think some of the others have been have been yeah. picked up. Um, it was in the days when I was a house producer and arranger for uh, DJM, doing a lot of their other artists and things like that. Mm. And I don't think there was any downtime, but I actually went to them. I said, look, I'd like, I've got a couple of ideas for an album. And, um, and, and, and they used me as a producer, arranged a lot. So they said, yeah, OK, what is it? I said, well, it's sort of uh, you know, it's instrumentals, voyage, and it's got a nice sort of groove to it. And there was a, a new pianist I'd been working with called Francis Monkman, who was a really good player. Oh, from he was in Curved Air? Yes, he was. Years yeah. before, yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, it's just three of us. It's Alan Jones, Francis and myself, and we did it with... Uh, the engineer was Dick Plant at CTS Wembley when he was then uh, house engineer there. Mm. Since, subsequently, he came to work for me full-time. Uh, came to work for me and Alan for full-time. And I did a, um, I did a lease tape deal because I was sort of putting my feet into business. I said, I want to do a lease tape deal. And they looked at me and said, who do you think you are, you know? I said, I'll do a 10-year lease tape deal. So they said, we'll do a 20-year lease tape deal. So I did it just for the exercise because I thought, mm. one day, you know, who knows? It'll revert back to me. And this guy, Nas, um, picked the track up. Um, and uh, when it was a hit, uh, DJM sort of like phoned me up and said, isn't it good? Isn't it good we've got a hit with Nas on one of those tracks? I said, yeah. So just, just check check the contract, please. You know. So they looked at the contract and they said, "It's just run out. Your lease has just run out." I said, "Yeah, it's like twenty-one years now, isn't it? Isn't it good?" Wow. And they said, uh, "Could we do a deal?" I said, "No, I don't think so." <laughs> it was just another one of those great timing things that yeah. everything went right. So I owned the, I owned the track and 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 the publishing. So the what? So the, the lease tape deal is. You lease it to the record company. You make a record. Yeah. You get paid for it. Yeah. And it reverts back to you. Uh, you know, after I mean, a certain, it, amount, after of a certain time. amount of time, depending okay. on how big you are and how many records you're okay. selling. Yeah. And does that mean you maybe get less for it initially? Yes. But then, okay. Yeah. So you take a you take a bit of a punt, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it definitely paid off. Oh yeah, it was good, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the record is still it's still unavailable, isn't it, for people? But it's it's all over YouTube. I've seen it on I've seen it on um, what do you call that? The, the things you buy on um, uh, eBay. I've oh, seen yeah. one on eBay for about eighty quid. You know, mm. crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, let's take a listen to Solstice. So we're going to do something slightly different with this one, Brian, because because these tracks are really big on YouTube and people sharing and discussing, I thought what I would do is I would read you some of the YouTube comments that people leave in the video. Okay. Um, because 
because it's fun. <laughs> so we'll start with the, this is someone called Westside DB3. They said Brian Bennett is one of the smoothest white men on earth. There you go. Oh, how about that? <laughs> um, K Stan Lord, he said traveling music for my spaceship. That got 254 likes. Uh, okay, we're getting going now. So we've got KHXML. Uh, they commented, this music makes me smell sexy. Oh, K. Okay. Uh, K, you swine. <laughs> they got 434 <laughs> likes as well. So that's, that's a very popular comment. Wow, that really, <laughs> that really delivered that one. Uh, LaDaryl Barker, he said, this is the music you play when having sex on a waterbed with black lights and rolling on ecstasy. Okay. 454 likes for that one. So, again, very popular. Eddie Babe. That's called Riding to the Brief. Yes. <laughs> Eddie Babe. Uh, he had commented this uh, just four hours before I, uh, I looked at these comments. He said, uh, Dalek porn music. Dalek porn. I think that's a good, good description. Uh, so that's an album title there yeah. I'm going yeah, yeah. to work on. You can imagine doing a live, bro- live show and someone shouts, Give us Dalek <laughs> porn! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, sleep guy uh, he says it's 7.30am I haven't slept all night I put this on for the first time ever three minutes in my pants are off and I'm dancing around it, the room in my underwear this music takes you places <laughs> blimey uh, and then you get to the eclectic spot okay now this guy this guy says, I play this song instead of the porno music that's already in the videos. I turn that music off when the video is playing and play this song instead. <laughs> like when two chicks and a dude are having some fun in a video, I'll play this song instead. It works real nice. Creates the right perfect element. Mixture. Atmos- atmosphere for. And then he says, self-pleasure. Uh, wow, I can't yeah. believe you picked that far one. Out. <laughs> <laughs> far out. Show her radio, far out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was Solstice. Yeah. Amazing sound. I, the drum sound on this is incredible. Yeah, it's fantastic. A really good record. You know, it's very... Again, it, it sounds ahead of its time, and it's very, very dubby in parts as well. Yeah. And you were saying you mixed in a drum machine, is that right? Yeah. Into the drums, yeah. It was pre-click. It was the pre-click era, and I wanted a click because clicks are good for you know edits that can you can splice you know eight bars here and four bars there and get it spot on. Yeah. Um, and it also has a nice flavour to the for, to the drum thing. But, uh, you know, th- that's not a, like four bars of drums and stitch it together. That's me playing right the way through to the end, you know. And it was a, it was a good band, a good feel. And um, I was really disappointed at the time that it, no one really liked it. They didn't get it. And mm. the record company said, oh, well, forget about it. You know, nothing happened. And then, like, 40 years later, it sort of um, it's helps people sleep and yeah. move around. It's such a use. And all manner of other things, yeah. yeah. Um, so thank you very much for coming in, Brian. It's been a pleasure it's to been have a you pleasure. on. No, it's been great listening to some old stuff again. Um, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna play you out with uh, two more of your tracks. So we're, we're gonna play out with one of your TV theme tunes to the Ruth Rendell Mysteries, for which you won an Ivan Novello, yes. I believe. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, we're gonna play a track from the latest album you've just done called Full Circle. This is a track called Reignited that you did with Alan Hawkshaw, which. Uh, this album is also available via Be With Records and is out now. 
uh, and is a sort of fantastic, I guess, look back on what you've both done together before, but also pushing it forward a little bit. And uh, yeah. yeah, it sounds fantastic. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, Ruth Rendell going into a track from Full Circle. <laughs> 